G'day and welcome to Lunch Money. Uh, we are the online and social media home for workouts, capital raising and special situations professionals. Uh, my name is Nick Samios. I'm the fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital and I am your live stream and podcast host. So once again, a very warm welcome. Today, we're just going to focus on the news. We're going to focus on the news today. It's been, this is our 20th episode. Um, so thank you uh, very much to uh, to everyone who's uh, uh, given us cause to, to keep going. We, we get um, different viewerships up and down every week, but it's certainly been worthwhile and I've certainly enjoyed doing it. I mean, the reason we started doing Lunch Money was because you know, 20 weeks ago, we, we started off on this uh, this COVID journey. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I'm someone who likes to catch up for a coffee or catch up for lunch or dinner or a drink or whatever it might be. And uh, obviously, our ability to do that, particularly traveling around the country, has been severely stifled. And so uh, I like to, to catch up with uh, uh, those uh, special individuals in my network. And uh, we're just happy to, to do that and, uh, and to share it with you. There's been a couple of developments this week. Um, and so we'll, we'll get to those headlines. But uh, uh, we'll do our traditional uh, catch-up first. Uh, we'll start off with uh, with Nick Martin, Insolvency and Restructuring Partner at uh, BDO in Melbourne. Um, what has been keeping you busy? Well, I think half the conversations this week have been in and around the welfare of individuals, whether they're friends, family, clients or work colleagues. And I think that uh, moving to stage four has it's really knocked a few people around, I think, emotionally. I think that there was this level of optimism when we went into stage three that it was only going to be for six weeks. Well, we only got halfway through that and we've been lumbered with stage four. So I think that anyone who's in um, business has found this pretty confronting. The evening news shows a number of businesses, all businesses are closing in essence, but there's this real question mark about whether and who and how they pop out the other side. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, we, we did an episode about uh, four weeks ago uh, on the subject of resilience, and we had uh, yeah. we had a uh, one one expert in particular um, uh, giving a few tips there. So I'd encourage anybody to go back and have a look at that. I guess at that point we weren't really expecting Melbourne to to, to go back into lockdown, um, but but it, yeah, you, I guess you really have to uh, to dig deep. I've got a, a friend of mine who's got a hotel that it's probably a fifty or eighty million dollar hotel. It's a it's a real business. It's got food, beverage. It's got music, it's got accommodation, and they opened up for that four or six week period um, a month or two ago. They've obviously closed down subsequently. He said to me, "We shouldn't have opened. We lost money. We, but yeah. the point being, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how to plan for it, and it appears that these social distancing regulations are going to become a, a part of the future. So what do industries look like? Look, one of the comments, uh, you know, we, we had, as I say, four weeks ago, we had a resilience expert um, uh, Arabella McPherson, and the week after that, uh, we had we, we focused a bit on leadership, and and the point of that uh, that particular feature was uh, with Bernard um, was uh, we were talking about dealing with um, uncertainty. And his take was really uncertainty. That is the new normal. It's not. We're not going back to anything. This is the way it is now, and we need to. Uh, we need to embrace it. We need to embrace. Uh, I think there's a saying in the in the in the American military, and it might have been in the Vietnam War. Embrace the suck. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's appropriate, but uh, you know that that that's that's where we're at. I guess it's easy for you and me to say. It's not so easy for for those people that uh, are totally shut down. But I think what, again, a theme that's come through time and time again is the lack of planning. 
by businesses, SME businesses included. Mm. And we're not advocating that they, you know, build a phone book, but there's just not enough thinking and planning around how do they get through this and out the other side. What are so their imperatives and what are their impediments? So have you found that, uh, that, that as your phone started ringing more or is it just same as always? I mean, if suddenly people said, listen, I thought I was going to survive, but, you know, now, Nick, can you give me some advice? Can I, can I, can I give you some statistics? We ran a webinar series over the last couple of weeks and during the course of the webinar we posed a series of questions within polls. One of the, um, and the, the attendees were typically SME business owners or accountants. 90% of the attendees said that less than 10% of either attendees or clients had plans to get out of this. Yeah. 73%, 73% said that about 50% of them were going to need additional help from landlords, staff, creditors, suppliers, after job keeper ends. Mm. 87% said that up to 25% of their businesses don't expect that they're going to get bank support, bank funding after job keeper ends. Mm. And the last one, 82% expect that up to 25% of attendees are going to need help because they won't be able to keep up with their ATO obligations. Yeah. Have you, what, what's the ATO doing? Are they, are they still just, you know, staying quiet or are they? A... I think they're, they're sitting on their hands for now. Yeah. Yeah, sitting on their okay. hands for now. Yeah, look, that's uh, that that's that is interesting. Uh, those those uh, seminar statistics. Um, okay, well, Nick, we'll just uh, put you back yep. in the waiting room for a moment, and we'll introduce our next guest, Brendan Wyhoon, who uh, is a partner with William James, the law firm in Sydney. How are you going, Brendan? G'day, mate. How are you going? Hopefully Fantastic. Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. So I think you might have been on episode two, or maybe it was episode three. Um, and uh, so thank you very much for uh, for your early support and helping us uh, along this journey uh, to make it this far. Um, what uh, what what has sort of if you sort of cast your mind back to what you thought how this was going to unfold back then? I mean, has it has it gone the way you expected? Look, I think the big question is going to be whether or not they get, the government's going to roll back the moratorium. So I haven't heard anything. I don't know if you have, but I think they probably will. Um, I don't think it's about JobKeeper. I think it's more about the moratoriums because I'd echo um, what the other guest was saying about everything's just hanging in there with uh, gaffer tape at the moment and it's really yeah. only hanging because the moratoriums against the tax office. Well, that's informal. People don't have to pay the tax, they don't have to pay the interest and they don't have to pay their landlords. Mm. The one thing I am can observe, um, I'm speaking to some fairly big landlords with you know quite significant wealth and they're upset because they're sort of saying being unfairly victimised because mm. what is it that, you know, banks defer, we have to write down some of ours. That's not fair. These moratoriums actually do, there are losers in there. There are winners, but they're also losers. And what, why are continuing the moratoriums? And do, do you think that, um, do, do you think that um, uh, the moratoriums, particularly with respect to landlords, I mean, do those need to be mandated or are the landlords you're talking to, would, would they be, would they be coming to the, to the right outcomes anyway just through negotiation and commercial reality? No way. <laughs> right. Okay. But then maybe, you know, we only see the ones that are a bit nasty. There's lots of room for dispute. Are you reporting your numbers right? Because they've got their own obligations, so they've got to go as hard as they can to get the money back. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got a I've got a friend who was uh, renting qu- quite a bit of space uh, on Pitt Street in town, and he was renting some space uh, up in Brisbane. And he said that he he approached his landlord and said, "Look, the lease has got a year to go. Uh, we'll pay you up for another three months." Or I think he said, "We'll pay you up till the end of the year. We're going to move out this month, but that's that's all you get." How do you feel about that? And the land and it was a very large landlord. I mean, I won't name who it was. It was one of the big ones, and uh, they they were on board. Oh, yeah, it's just it's a bit of both. And um, I mean, as a as a as a lawyer, uh, has the nature of the the phone calls that you're getting in the last week or so changed? I mean, I, I know that uh, you're obviously involved heavily in in litigation and insolvency. So, what's been changing in your world? Nothing's changed in the last week or so. Although I would say to you, I think that it's quiet again in insolvency. So, as everyone's probably aware, insolvency numbers are right down at the moment. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I think that it started to turn back on again about a month ago, and then ever since this Melbourne. Uh, problems, which I feel sorry for our friends in Melbourne, it's terrible. Mm. Um, that's made everybody go quiet again. I think business uncertainty is huge, and people uh, there's not very little few triggers for insolvency. So insolvency is extremely subdued. I mean, insolvency firms are on JobKeeper. Then litigation. I think a lot of people are uncertain about pressing triggers and so forth. You know, our business doesn't change week to week, but um, and it has. How does mediation? Uh, how, how does mediation work? Uh, I know that obviously when you're involved in litigation, there comes a point where people have to sit around a table. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm sort of very old school, as you can tell by my grey hair. I I like to sit around a table, and the idea of trying to do a mediation, you know, via 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 Zoom doesn't really appeal to me. But are they working all right? Uh, yes, it does work. I think I think it's okay because if you look at a lot of the way a lot of mediations go, anyway. I mean, you really start a day in, together in a room and then you often you just end up apart with someone bouncing between rooms anyway. So the greatest surprise is that hearings seem to be going ahead. Yeah. Um, examination by video link is not something I thought that would ever be done, but it, it is being done. So yeah, it's surprisingly resilient. I've got to say I didn't expect that. Um, yeah. What about, I mean, in a negotiation or even in a courtroom situation, I mean, there is a little bit of reading of body language and stuff, isn't there? Or is that just yeah. in my imagination? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's why I didn't think, especially if you're cross-examining a witness who's a key witness on a fraud case or something, they might be mm. lying. You want to discern whether they are. And even just the pressure and accountability of being before a courtroom full of people, yeah. it's missing. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring back Nick Martin. We will start having a look at some headlines. We've got here uh, small businesses doubt they can survive lockdown 2.0, um, whilst at the same time, uh, and I guess I'm focusing on what's going on in Victoria here. Um, Nick, uh, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Uh, you were saying before that it's one thing to survive before. I mean, it, is it breaking the spirits? So what, what, what do you think? Well, I think in certain industries it is breaking the spirits of business owners. So that's the first comment that I'd make. And I think also there's an awakening a lot of these SME businesses about do I have the energy and do I have the strength to go through this again? Because ultimately I've got my family home on the line with my bank. And so if I'm going to fund another restart, I'm actually eating into the equity of my family home. So is my business as robust as I thought it was? Is my business as robust as I would like it to be? Does it have what it takes to get through the next three months, six months, 12 months? And ultimately, do I want to have that difficult conversation at home about putting the family home on the line? And I think that's an issue. I'm just wondering, Brendan, just from a legal point of view, um, you know, if you're a business and you're not able to meet 
you know, contractual obligations as a result of this of this COVID. I mean, what, you know, aside from, you know, the statutory demands, I mean, do you have any legal remedies to you? I mean, which, what, if, you know, it's a bit hard to meet your contractual obligations if the government said you can't travel more than five kilometres and the various the various uh, restrictions that there are. Well, no, I mean, voluntary administration was the key thing that people used to jump for. And then they brought in um, Safe Harbour, uh, yeah. which Safe Harbour is still being utilised, which is a scheme where, you know, the problem with voluntary administration it was quite binary. As soon as you, there's a sense, rightly or wrongly, that if you put a VA in, then it's kind of all over. So they brought in Safe Harbour, which was meant to be a half house. And the whole point of that is to stop, um, you know, immunity from insolvent trading or limited immunity from insolvent trading, lots of conditions to that, I should say. Um, and then they brought in um, the the um, one which said basically they paused insolvent trading for six months, which is another one of the many statutory measures they brought in as an emergency, like, you know, your moratoriums. Mm. Interesting about that one. So the answer, there is a quirk to that as to whether or not you're supposed to, to get protection from that last one. You've actually got to appoint administrators within the the period, which could actually lead to a huge number of um, insolvencies, and that's what I think is coming. So I think there's going to be a huge number of voluntary administrations. I'm sure Nick would agree with me. It's coming at some point. And no, there's look at the end of the day, though. If you're if you're a debtor under pressure at the moment, you're okay because the stat demand issue is there. That means mm. what can anyone do to get at you? What they can do though is they can stop supply. You know, all the normal stuff can happen. It's just that the legal. They can't wind you up. Is basically. You know, but but it's still not a good place to be. Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking now about this jo uh, job keeper. Obviously, is being boosted. Uh, um, so there are a lot of businesses. Obviously, that'll be kept afloat um, uh, to some extent in in a in a zombie capacity. I don't think that I don't think the cliffs in September anymore. Do you? I mean, when do you? What, what's your feeling? It all depends on whether the government extends the moratoriums. I don't think it's about job keeper. I, I think politically they will extend, but I could be wrong mm -hmm. about. It. I don't about politics but my sense is they'll extend otherwise we are going to have one hell of a problem in september i think we'll still have that problem frankly it would worry me if they don't extend because mm. i'm not getting my phone's i don't know about nick but my phone's not ringing off the hook and i'm a restructured guy so there's there's no preparedness out there for for this this um thing coming down in september i think people have just underestimating the risks of that but i do think it'll be extended what what flows from that though You've got a whole lot of directors that you would ordinarily classify as irresponsible because they're taking on debt, which in all likelihood a company can't meet. Those businesses which choose to supply without some sort of objective criteria and credit protocols, I think they are the ones that are going to be disadvantaged as opposed to the directors that are artificially supported when perhaps they ought not be if these insolvent trading moratorium is extended. Mm, yeah, mm. I agree with that. I, I think that's right. As soon your government, have, um, you can't just meddle in a really complex regime without creating imbalances. And I agree. I think you come in and you try and help one person, yeah. but in a what you do is you spread. I think they'll find in retrospect that these things were create all sorts of problems they weren't intended to create. We're just rippling out the insolvency to a much wider group of people. At least if you sanction within a VA, that's why it's there then you stop people trading on with insolvent companies. But now, exactly as Nick said, you've just got more and more people doing so. So that just is going to radiate out the problems. It makes me worry. I guess when it comes to a major restructuring, you're going to have a lawyer, you're going to have a, a, a restructuring accountant, obviously, such as Nick, and you're going to have a financier such as myself. And with none of us, uh, the phones aren't exactly ringing off the hook for, 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 for any of us, really. So... Uh, 
you know, it is interesting. And I know that, um, you know, Nick and I were talking about a matter earlier this week where, um, you know, we can see the need uh, for a restructure and we, we've come up with, uh, you know, we've, we've workshopped some pretty creative ideas. But the bank, uh, I don't think the bank seems to be particularly motivated, um, you know, and, and so... You know, the bank's not motivated. Um, the trouble is, of course, with all of these things, the bank isn't kicking the, cl the customer out, but they're not giving the customer any ad additional funding either. Yeah. So it's a bit of a no-man's land there. Um, all right, listen, we'll move on to the next um, the next slide. This one was interesting, Nick. Um, particularly this, I think, has got a Victorian focus. Uh, they're talking about, um, you know, there's 735 construction projects I think in Victoria specifically, it is specifically in Victoria, and with, with those 735 projects, we're talking about 166,000 jobs. So are you seeing anything in particular in that in that sort of uh, construction and subcontractor space? No, not yet, but, but I think that with Stage 4, Stage 4 specifically dealt with construction projects, yeah. and the government's introduced some some rules in and around how many Trades can be on site at a particular time. How many projects builders can work on at a particular time? So I think that it's a, it's still a little while before we see the fallout of that very issue. You, you think they have done uh, enough to uh, to, to keep to, to keep the, the the wheels moving in the construction space at this stage? Well, I think they've bought themselves some time, and construction is such a large employer, such a large contributor of revenue to the state that they have to find a solution as unpalatable as it is to keep the industry working in, in at least in some level of capacity. And Brendan, in your, do you, I know that you're dealing with uh, the investment funds, uh, what have you, that hold property and you're talking about landlords. Do you get involved on the on the construction side at all? Occasionally. I mean, I'm not a construction lawyer. It's not my speciality. But, I, of course, in an insolvency and restructuring context, we deal with plenty of those sort of companies. But anecdotally, I understand that there's a lot of projects tailing off towards the end of the year and that pe most people are pretty pessimistic about the construction sector early next year you know again nick probably knows better than i do but i know that the, the average trade is pretty worried the, the certainly the ones that employ a bunch of people are worried about and the pricing the, the competitiveness of the, the margin squeezes on all the jobs jobs are being won now so the big big jobs aren't there the little the big guys are coming down to the little jobs and they're doing it below cost to win the work to keep people paid yeah you know that squeezes out all the little guys. So I know that's well, and also when the margins are thin, there's there's no cash being generated to to, to for as a fighting fund to be able to stay on your feet either. Uh, listen, one of our uh, one of our uh, viewers, Carl Anderson, has just told us that there's a breaking story here on Sky News. Right. Yeah, they're extending the insolvency moratorium. That's just been published. The insolvency right. moratorium is being extended. Mm. Yeah. Now, this one here, uh, Uber ridership fails to recover as pandemic drives another big loss. So Uber's an announced a 75% yeah, decline uh, year over year. I, I think there's a couple of things here. I'm not, you know, obviously I'm concerned for Uber, uh, but I'm just wondering, you know, are we changing uh, some of our habits um, forever? I mean, what sort of habits have you found yourself Changing, Brendan. Do you think uh, are, you, are you jumping in Ubers, or are there other things that you're finding yourself doing differently? Um, yeah, I think. Look, I don't know about this one. Our business is because uh, we're a specialist firm, and we're not a massive firm. Um, mm. Most of our guys want to be at, at work, but I know lots and lots of people in big firms aren't, and mm. a lot of them are liking it. So mm. you know, people just aren't going to the office as much, and then the restaurants are hard to get into, and that now 
you know, people aren't going out as much. So I think, yeah, I guess we're just all the homebound a bit more. So I guess that's what it, that that's the headlines about. And Nick, what about uh, as an as an insolvency advisor? Are you seeing any 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 business models? I mean, Uber's obviously a business model. Are there any business models that you're thinking to yourself that they're just gone unless there's just no no future for that business model? Well, I think we all know that hospitality in different forms is going to struggle. There's a hotel group in Melbourne. There's about eight or ten hotels in their group. They have sought but haven't obtained concessions from any landlords and they've been closed for five months. The hospitality industry is going to look very different when it restarts and it will be governed, you would think, fairly heavily by what the social distancing rules look like in three months or six months' time because that business model relies upon cramming as many people in the front door as is possible. But I think the ones that are doing particularly well, and it's not necessarily retail and apparel, but anyone that has a business which is IT or platform-based that creates efficiencies is, is readily scalable and doesn't rely upon office space or retail space or has limited occupancy costs, that's the place to be, I would have thought. That's the, they're the growth opportunities. Yeah, I guess uh, I was interested. Obviously, the Sea Folly was a big restructure, uh, yeah. VA, Voluntary Administration, recently. I don't know how much of their business shifts online. You know, it was obviously a lot of shop front, but I guess that's that's one that... Uh, that sort of thing can uh, can can pivot to digital, I guess. We'll hit our next uh, our next slide. This, there's a story out of the UK that uh, the banks are provisioning more for uh, for bad debts, and that's being reflected in Australia. Um, there's 274 billion dollars worth of uh, loans uh, on deferral in Australia. That's one thing for it to be a deferral. That's another thing, obviously, for it to be classified as an impairment, which then impacts the bank's capital. Um, but one of the one of the issues that came up last week, we had David Gandolfo, who is the president of the Commercial Asset Finance Brokers Association, and there was an article in the paper this week about what they're saying, backdoor rules stifling small business loans. So uh, that was saying that um, one of the issues that, that small business is experiencing when it comes to the bank is the banks applying consumer standards to the small business loans um, and uh, and that constraining capital. I, I'm just thinking, Brendan. I, I don't know how many uh, how many banks and secured creditors you're talking to, but do you see that this this constraint on fresh lending is uh, particularly? I mean, we're not really seeing it precipitate insolvencies just yet. I do think the banks are in a tough going to be in a tough situation. With the wall, the cliff, if we want to put it that way, is going to come sooner or later. If you're a bank, you're not just going to go and pull the trigger on on, on every loan that's got problems in the same way you might have, you know, 20-something years ago because you can't because you've got too much. Their capital adequacy issues, they have their own problems. So because they're, you know, they're, they're a highly leveraged business at the end of the day, just like any business. People don't appreciate how leveraged our banks are. They have to be very careful about this, um, and so they're going to want to try to let things smooth out the noise. They're going to try to spread. I, my guess, they'll try and spread the problems over over the next few years. If there is, rather than having a cliff, so that'll mean lots more patience and support. And so I think you're going to see something you alluded to before, Nick. I think you're going to see you're not going to get a lot of pressure out of your banker. I don't think. They're going to obviously be looking for exits, but they're going to be have to do it really carefully. Otherwise, it's going to be a real problem for them. But don't you think they've been spreading their problems uh, over the last couple of years anyway? They, I mean, we all know that the banks have not been, you know, particularly with uh, Banking Royal Commission 
the banks have been uh, have had their foot off the pedal anyway. They've been absolutely terrorised uh, by this royal commission. And uh, you know, I've heard uh, bankers say that it's it's all about PR. It's more about the PR than it is about the the economics. Uh, Nick, obviously, you you guys deal with a lot of banks. Well, just a matter that I'm working with at the moment. This particular business has about twenty million dollars of debt. Um, yeah. We talked about it last time, Nick. It, it generates about five million dollars of profit per annum. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, since the COVID nineteen pandemic hit, this business has just evaporated. And so, in talking to the bank on this very issue. $20 million of debt, but there's only a couple of million dollars of underlying security value for the bank. So the bank, but the bank, to their great credit, has worked out, we can't continue, we can't make any further advances because we don't have the security. Mm. The business doesn't have any debt servicing capacity. But what the bank is already saying, we need to right-size the, the debt. And right-sizing the debt could be taking the debt from 20 to 10 to 5 or whatever the magic number is, and they've also said we've been prepared to deal in the debt. They have quickly got their heads around the chronic issues and they're going to think differently about what the solution might be. Look, my, my personal experience, and I don't know what uh, what Brendan might add, is that, you know, we were in the, we've, we've certainly negotiated with banks pre-COVID about, uh, about uh, right-sizing the debt, as you put it. Um, but as soon as COVID hit, they, they just lost interest in, in any sort of negotiation whatsoever. I mean, is that... I mean, is the bank the bank wouldn't be in a hurry to right size that debt, but on the other hand, it must be sticking out like a sore thumb on their ledger with those sorts of numbers. But if you but if you think that the banks picked up this particular the bad bank has picked up this file, there's more coming. They're going to have to deal with them, and yeah. so if this particular business doesn't have a future for the next six months or twelve months, should the bank be taking the view? Let's just deal with it now because we've only got a limited resource base when this tidal wave does hit. I don't know whether that's the answer, but I would have thought that would be part of their thinking. What do you think, Brendan? Look, I've heard rumours that they are setting up sort of halfway houses sort of thing within banks for this sort of event. So they're planning for it. Yeah. Um, safe assumption. They've got lots of money and lots of clever people in there. Sure. Um, they know it's coming. They yeah. know they Hey, they've got to be really careful. It's The bigger the organisation, the more careful you have to be with the rules because, you know, the, everything, the consequences of leverage. So take the example Nick was talking about before. I mean, do right-size the debt now would mean, you know, you know, a couple of million bucks of debt. They're not going to write off 18 million bucks of debt on it because if they do, they're mm. going to do it. Maybe before COVID, they could have done it. But now it's probably 20, you know, 10% of their book that's got that problem. Or, but mm. I don't know. But it'd be a large, large number. Mm. So if they do that one, if they do it on the other hundred that are coming down the line, they probably can't. So what do they do? Well, they're probably going to try to work with the customer to try and massage it back and take a longer term view. Is my guess. Be- what about debt for equity? I mean, I know we saw. I think in the GFC, uh, you know, the bank. Well, pre GFC, the banks were. Uh, uh, experimenting with uh, equity divisions, uh, mm-hmm. but that's certainly in the very high corporate end of town. I'm not, I guess, you know, they're not going to take an equity position in a tuck shop, for example. I mean, but but I guess Brennan, in the circles that you move in, I suppose dealing, you know, Nick mentioned that one of the solutions might be to trade the debt. But then you've got to take up the loss, and I don't know that they're going to want to. That that's the only thing is, uh, mm. if if what you mean is you'll trade it at a massive discount, I think. Look, I don't know, Nick. I mean, I just before COVID, I, I did quite a large one where they did, where one of the banks did do it. Um, yeah. 
I think COVID's just made it harder, and I think they're just going to revisit their models. I don't know about the equity piece. I, I, I personally think that would mean that'd be a real challenge for the banks because they don't have that expertise at the yeah. moment, um, and it'll take them years to get it. And I think it'd be a bridge too far for where we are right now with the way banking works. I think in the very top end of town that could happen in the really, really, really big deals. But you know, it'll be it, it'll be, won't won't be a very common occurrence, is my guess. And I wonder. Um... Nick, you know, we were we were looking at uh, a scenario. I mean, obviously, without going into the details, but you know, uh, we, we, I guess when we're talking to banks, we're trying to find ways of uh, uh, of them not taking haircuts, but at the same time accommodating a, a partial exit. Uh, so we'll see if we have any success uh, with that. But Nick, have you got anything further to add to what Brendan was saying there? No, I mean, I, I'd make a, I'd have a slightly different comment from Brendan's, and that is the minute the bank. Um, engage as an IA to undertake a review, if there's a security assessment in there and the security assessment says it's worth 10 or 20 or 30 cents, at that point, the bank has to book the impairment charge. The bank needs to, but doesn't necessarily want to because to Brendan's point, it can create a precedent mm. on other industries or other borrowers, whether it's an industry-based issue or a portfolio. And so then you really do have this, this issue which builds momentum and you have these significant provisions. So I think that it's going to be particularly difficult for banks. They need to make provisions, but they don't necessarily want to be providing for specific files because it, give, it gives the borrower a free kick also. And, and are you suggesting that uh, if they start doing it in particular industries, sometimes you see the banks uh, just, just slam the door on an industry because they're, they're taking hits and... Is that what you're sort of hinting at there? Well, it, it could be. I mean, you, you look at the industries that are exposed for now. It's, it's hospitality. It's travel, it's tourism. Um, so, so there's industries which will take some time to, to recover. And yet there is an, there's got to be an impairment charge applied for the now. Mm-hmm. Now, the banks have to do it. All right. Well, look, uh, we, we've gone past, the, uh, past our half hour mark, so we will wrap it up. What I'll say to both of you is that, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I've noticed that in the past week, uh, we have seen an uptick uh, in inquiry. There's no doubt about that. It's um, the nature of the inquiry that we're seeing. It's, it's 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 stretching us in terms of having to be a little bit more creative than we might normally be uh, in finding solutions. I mean, nothing comes uh, nothing comes gift wrapped with a bow around it anymore. It's uh, there's always um, you know we're always having to think a little bit outside the square more so than ever. But I do you know we are seeing you know some early signs whether or not it's just one or two swallows that don't make the summer or, or whether or not it's a trend, I'm not sure. But uh, I'd like to sort of uh, give you give you that um, that, that bit of um, uh, encouragement at least. There's no way it's not going to be real problems coming down the line. <laughs> it's inescapable. All right. Well, look, guys, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, and thank you very much for... Uh, for uh, you've both been on before and uh, appreciate you uh, helping us celebrate our 20th episode and uh, keep well to all of our uh, viewers whether or not you're viewing live or uh, if you're catching up with us uh, later on uh, over the weekend on youtube or listening to our podcast uh, we thank you as well and we will catch you again next week cheers thanks so much thank you. Thank you.